This is Bioflash. The focus for us has always been do great science with great people and focus on patients. The real mission is to say we're curing 20%. How do we make that 40? How do we make that 60? If you can't change clinical practice in a way that improves outcomes for patients and lowers the cost of care, you may as well not start. Part of being at a small startup biotech company is how quickly we can, we can move. If Roche can buy Genentech, if Pfizer can buy Wyeth, any motivated party can buy anybody else. Welcome to BioFlash, the podcast about the San Francisco Bay Area's biotech ecosystem. I'm Ron Ludy, the biotech reporter for the San Francisco Business Times. This coming week is a big one for the biotech industry, and San Francisco is ground zero. It's the 36th annual J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference at the Western St. Francis Hotel. But the 20,000 or so biotech company executives, venture capitalists, investment bankers, and investors fan out all over Union Square. There are smaller parallel conferences and thousands, I mean literally thousands, of one-on-one -on -one meetings in coffee shops, hotel rooms, hotel lobbies, the sidewalks, and weather permitting Union Square itself. It's here that everyone takes the pulse of the biotech industry early in the year, tries to hook up with partners to help pay for or distribute a company's drugs, or tries to hook up with investors to foot some of that bill. The news flow of the past month or so has been epic as companies try to see if anyone picks up what they've been putting down. My calendar is full. Everyone's calendar is full. Part of my strategy as a reporter for a regional business-to-business -business publication is to meet with as many companies as I can. Rarely do you get this many executives, VCs, bankers, and investors in as relatively small amount of space as around Union Square. It's also a little chance to have some fun. I'll be reporting the news that I can get to between meetings, talking to folks for new podcasts, and generally letting out-of-towners know the lay of the land, like how many steps from the J.P. Morgan Conference's front door to the nearest cannabis dispensary. That's all on a map on our website. One warning, same as last year, pack your umbrellas. Rain is expected all week. For you, that may not mean much more than wet clothes. For us, it likely means lots of good skiing in the Sierra Nevadas. But before we get there, here's our latest BioFlash podcast. We talked to Alice Zhang, the founder and CEO of Verge Genomics. For a young San Francisco company, Verge has been getting a lot of attention. It's a graduate of the Y Combinator Accelerator and has raised $4 million dollars. That's not a whole lot of money in the great scheme of things, but there's big interest here because Verge is using artificial intelligence or machine learning to hopefully speed the hunt for new drugs to fight neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's. It has a couple of interesting collaborations too around Lou Gehrig's disease and Parkinson's 
with the likes of Massachusetts General Hospital, the Scripps Research Institute, USC, and Johns Hopkins. We talked to Alice Singh about the journey of starting Verge, how a young company gets heard above the din of startups, and breaking down the silos between machine learning, biology, drug development, and academia. Maybe the best way to start off here is, um, can you just give me your full name and title and how old Verge is when, when you actually started? My name is Alice Zhang, and I am the CEO and co-founder of Verge Genomics. Uh, we started Verge in June of 2015, so we're two and a half years old now. So Verge uses genomic data for neuroscience drugs. How would you describe that? Maybe get a little into the weeds here, but how would you describe that to your next-door neighbor? Yeah, yeah. So what we do at Verge is specifically use uh, machine learning to develop uh, new drugs, beginning with neuroscience, but eventually for all human disease, uh, more cheaply and quickly. And uh, I really started Verge, um, actually when I was a grad student, as a uh, part of my frustration with how broken I saw drug discovery was. And I realized that a lot of drug discovery, even to this day, is still a big guessing game. So people are still for screening millions of compounds, guessing at genes they think cause disease. And importantly, in diseases like Alzheimer's disease, there has been absolutely no progress or no effective drugs um, that have even come out of this pipeline. And as a grad student, I was uh, in a genomics lab, and I realized that we're in the midst of this exciting convergence of advances in uh, machine learning. Uh, as well as uh, explosion of new genomic data and better understanding of the brain. And so I realized this was actually an unprecedented opportunity to really tackle some of these complex diseases that people thought were too complex to solve before um, and generally kick the guesswork out of drug discovery. And so I, I eventually left uh, the PhD program to start the company really with the vision of building the world's first next-generation pharmaceutical company that, instead of uh, relying on brute force guessing, really uses machine learning to create a scalable drug discovery engine that can eventually automate uh, the discovery of cures across human diseases. And the goal here is to mine large amounts of human genetic and genomic data to pinpoint the exact genetic causes of disease and then identify targeted therapies that can reverse or normalize those genetic defects back to levels of um, healthy patients. Mm -hmm. And some some researchers and diseases are already trying to do that in individual diseases. Uh, you know, I know UCSF has a collaboration with uh, epilepsy partners. Uh, very interesting, and that approach is interesting. But you're layering that with machine learning, uh, maybe. Uh, this year's uh, big technology, I think, that people are becoming more and more aware of, at least. Uh, correct. So I think uh, in, uh, there's been a real, I think, a heating up of the AI field. And for us, I think it's uh, equally important to have you know, the best-in-class machine learning team um, and algorithms, but also to be able to combine that with a very experienced drug development team and neurobiologists from day one. 
So I think one of the, the real challenges and keys into actually realizing the full potential of artificial intelligence in drug discovery will come from fully breaking down these silos that exist between computation and biology. And that's a big reason, um, I believe, that um, machine learning hasn't made more traction to date in drug discovery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've made a lot of progress in, in just, uh, you know, uh, since 2015, since the founding. Um, and in September, you disclosed your first industry academic consortium uh, to create this large database of ALS patient genomic uh, data. That's Columbia University, Mass General, USC, and the University of Michigan. What, what are you hoping to find there? Is, is this, um, you know, maybe the first real life experience of, of what you're trying to do? So these academic uh, collaborations have been hugely important um, into generating uh, necessary data sets that we need for our own machine learning algorithms. When we first set out and we looked at the public data, we realized that those are the starting point. Um, a lot of the, uh, the previously published data was either quite low quality, underpowered, or it just didn't have appropriate resolution. So by partnering with all these different institutions, we've been able to create an in-house pipeline for generating new patient data. And that means we can generate this data with unprecedented speed, scale, and quality. And uh, some of the examples of the partnerships we've struck have uh, enabled us to generate even new types of data that didn't exist, such as, um, as an example, brain biopsies from living Parkinson's patients that uh, are undergoing deep brain stimulation um, but because the neurosurgeon is in there can actually sample a part of their brain. And that gives us, uh, uh, for the first time, a unique lens into early disease progression rather than just the end stage of life. So these partnerships um, have first created an important data resource that helps feed back into our machine learning algorithms and helps retrain them, improve them, and increase the accuracy of their predictions. But also uh, a second aspect is that we can also access now cutting-edge preclinical models, such as uh, patient stem cell models and animal models um, that, that help us then develop whatever predictions that we have from the computational side quickly um, into validated targets and asthma molecules. That's really interesting, especially, I think, in ALS, where um, you know, no one's been able to really crack that with a really good treatment for, for the symptoms, but you know, let alone finding exactly what sets that off. So, um, you know, I think people are really interested in some kind of at least treatment, maybe getting to the underlying disease would be fantastic as well. But uh, where, uh, how, how do you see uh, Verge being able to accelerate that? I mean, do, do you have any data or... Um, uh, want to make any wild prognostications about we will cut uh, drug development by X number of years? Can you put a time value with that? Sure. Uh, yeah, in ALS, which is our lead therapeutic program, we've been able to move from um, essentially inception of the program, so data collection phase, all the way through to the identification of over 20 new ALS targets. Uh, validation of several of those targets in both uh, patient stem cell models and in vivo models, as well as identifying now several small molecule hits 
um, that rescue neurodegeneration in both uh, uh, in vitro and in vivo models. And we've been able to do that within the course of the last year and a half, uh, which is really quite unprecedented if you think of a standard uh, drug discovery program that's internal to pharma. Usually that takes on the order of uh, five years at least um, to get to the same stage. And uh, there are several reasons we think we've been able to accelerate it so much. The first is that we are moving a lot of this experimental guesswork and uh, heavy lifting from the bench to the computer. So we combine a large amount of real patient data and make highly targeted predictions about compounds or genes that will actually have efficacy. And when we go into the lab, we find that our hit rates are much, much higher. So, for example, we usually only need to test between 10 to 20 predictions before we actually have a hit that produces an effect. And if you compare that to a, a standard uh, phenotypic screening where you're, you're screening libraries of compounds up to, you know, tens to hundreds of thousands, that represents a huge saving uh, in terms of both capital as well as timeline. Um, the second aspect is that we uh, have really invested up front in not only the machine learning and computational infrastructure, but we have all of our own uh, wet labs. So we have both in vitro uh, facilities as well as uh, vivarium where we do a lot of animal studies. And what that's enabled us to do is to really quickly move from a computational prediction into a validated prediction in the lab um, all the way through to a small molecule in the, the course of months, really. And secondly, that enables us to generate, importantly, a lot of validation data from the lab itself that feeds back into the machine learning algorithms and is constantly improving them. And uh, in Parkinson's disease, for example, we've seen that this has even sped up our, our time to new target identification uh, when compared to ALS. So specifically, whereas in ALS it took us um, about a year, um, it, in Parkinson's disease it took us about three months to get to the same point of identifying new targets. Okay. A little while ago you talked about the, the wet lab setup that you have and everything too, and and I think a lot of times your type of companies uh, get pigeonholed into, oh, you do you know computational drug discovery um, but it sounds like you want to take some of these forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one of the single greatest challenges um, for really making traction in drug discovery with AI is breaking down all of these silos that already exist between computation and biology. They don't need to be there. Uh, traditionally, computer scientists and biologists have existed it was pretty separately. And that's been a lot of uh, what has precluded AI from making meaningful traction. And these are pervasive not only in science and drug discovery, but also in other fields such as venture capital and business development. And so we really need to overcome this dichotomous mindset and to create more integrated teams. So that's why from day one, we brought on not only a team of eight machine learning PhDs, but also... Um, a team of pharma veterans that have developed multiple clinical successes all the way through to market. And it's really by putting them side by side that uh, the computational biologists really understand what are the needs on the drug discovery side and have a deeper understanding of the biology. And similarly, um, the biologists understand where these predictions are coming from, what are the data sets that are being mined, 
And uh, this enables us to create a feedback between the two sides rather than just a one-way flow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that breaking down the silos, I mean, you've mentioned it a couple of times, and and you know, with your ALS collaboration, I named the partners there, and you have a Parkinson's collaboration as well. I think that was just announced in in November, um, and that's NI, with the NIH and Scripps and Dresden University. In this message of breaking down the silos, how does you know, frankly, little old Verge, uh, you know, get in front of a Pfizer or a Stanford or a GlaxoSmithKline or, or in these cases, your your collaboration partners and say, hey, um, you know, we're all talking about the same thing, but there are things standing in the way. How do you get people to listen to you and, and buy into this model? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think we've, I've been surprised by the receptiveness of both pharma and academia uh, for a, a systems biology computational approach like ours. Um, on the pharma side, we've had uh, quite a bit of traction even from the earlier stages. Uh, we signed two large pharmaceutical deals um, even within the first uh, year and a half of starting the company. Mm. And a lot of that is due to, I think, specifically in neuroscience, there's this growing desire and need to find the next generation targets in these diseases. For example, Alzheimer's disease has just recently had two major multi-billion dollar failures. And people, I think, are starting to realize that, you know, the traditional targets such as beta amyloid might not be as effective as they thought. And to be really relevant into the next decade, um, people need to be looking at human genetics to identify the, the next generation of targets that people might not be considering right now. And the irony of this is that I think that there's so much data out there and that data is exponentially multiplying. The very few people actually understand how do we uh, integrate all of this data together to actually get where we want. And that's really the gap we have filled for both industry and academia is a very talented computational biology team that has developed a first-in-class methods, And we've established proof of concepts of those methods in ways that are compelling to biologists themselves, such as validating predictions in both patient stem cells and uh, mouse models of disease. So um, how soon before one of these gets into the clinic, if, if there's not one already? So we are, uh, for our lead therapeutic program, we're really focused on advancing um, our leads towards INDs. And our plan is um, to forge down that path and uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, I uh, get a clinical candidate um, uh, in the next two to three years. That all being said, and, and you know, are, are, do you feel like you're at the right time, uh, you know, with machine learning really taking off, a lot of companies listening to it, uh, you, you built a team there, and there's, especially in neuroscience, this initial focus for you, um, you know, there's been a lot of swings and misses, but people feel like there's something there. Uh, do you just feel like you're at the right crossroads? Yeah, I think on both sides, it's a really exciting time. And obviously, I was so excited by it that I left uh, grad school <laughs> yeah. to really pursue this dream. But I think that it's, it's really the first time all of these advances have converged. On the machine learning side, we're seeing... Uh, continue to decrease in the cost of genome sequencing um, and really ex- 
explosion of new human genetic and genomic data. More and more patients are getting sequenced really every single day. And an advance in the algorithms that we can use to really mine all of this data. Um, at the same time, in neuroscience, uh, we are really getting to the point where we finally uh, are starting to get some traction in our understanding of the brain. Um, and uh, that's uh, interweaved with a lot of the advances on the, the kind of hardware side. So we can really, for example, now do single cell sequencing um, and have access to a lot of patient brain tissue. And so, you know, why this field is so exciting for us is that a lot of pharma companies traditionally have abandoned uh, diseases like Alzheimer's disease because they thought there, it was just simply too complex to tackle. Um, and for us, the answer to that is that they simply didn't have the right tools to really address all of the complexities. And for the first time, we now have these tools really uh, within reach to to start to make real progress on these diseases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, looking forward to, let's say, a year from, from now, what does Verge look like? Um, what are some of the milestones that you, um, you know, can say you've you've checked off by then? We are uh, pretty aggressively building out our drug discovery capabilities. Uh, 2018 uh, will uh, see the addition of chemistry for us, so the ability to actually take our small molecule hits and start optimizing them for favorable properties, for example, getting into the brain, um, being safe and non-toxic, as well as expanding our team to include uh, even more people with drug discovery and development experience, as well as uh, computational experience. On the program side, we're going to continue advancing our lead therapeutic program in ALS um, through uh, lead optimization, um, but concurrently we'll be scaling our platform across a number of additional indications. We've already expanded, um, added Parkinson's disease to the pipeline, and we've identified new targets already. Uh, we're active in, right now, over six different disease areas. Um, but starting to show uh, that we can not only make a lot of progress uh, down the pipeline, that, but we can really increase the breadth of our pipeline as well. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of BioFlash. Be sure to follow our daily coverage of the Bay Area's biotech industry at sanfranciscobusinesstimes.com. And you can follow me and give me your feedback and tips on Twitter at rludy, that's R-L-E-U-T-Y, underscore biotech. BioFlash is produced by Kevin Trong.